0: everyone welcome back to another episode today's topic is all about comfort foods and i figured what better time to talk about comfort foods than when number 1 it's cold outside for me comfort food a lot of that has to do with temperature and so making me feel warm on the inside Uh, And number two, it's the holiday season, where we tend to enjoy all sorts of comfort foods or just even special foods that we don't eat any other time of the year. So speaking of the holiday season, uh, as you know, the podcast Nourish, Eat, Repeat is named after my book, which is called Nourish, Eat, Repeat. So if you are looking for a Christmas present and you are not sure what to get that certain somebody, whether it's... A friend, or a coworker, or um, a mom, a sister, an aunt. I mean, guys read this too. I've had plenty of men read the book, but um, a lot of women read the book. And so, if that's something that uh, you are looking for a gift idea, let me put a plug in for the book "Nourish, Eat, Repeat," and it's available on our website, which is bodymetricshealth.com under the shop or you can get it um, at a local bookstore, or you can get it on Amazon. So those are just a couple places where it's available. But I have to say, it's a fun read. Um, Not only is it practical information, but there's also recipes at the end of each chapter. And I call those recipes five-star recipes because five out of five kids will eat it. And that is no small feat, especially if you have lots of kids at home and a lot of kids that are picky. So my hope is that if I can get all five of mine to eat a recipe, maybe you can get a couple in your household to enjoy it too. But back to comfort foods, because again, holiday season, we're eating foods that just, you know, give us all the good feelings. For me, I mentioned before, comfort food is usually about warmth. I hate being cold. I hate being cold more than anything. You will always find me overdressed, especially if it is anything outdoors. I just hate being cold. My kids complain all the time because I then try to impose my being cold onto them. My daughter Charlie is always yelling at me, Mom, just because you're cold doesn't mean that everyone else in the family is. Let us just live our lives. So I think she's a little dramatic. And she may get that drama from me. I really think she gets it from her father, though. But comfort foods. What food brings you comfort? Is there a food that you can think of right off the bat? Like when I say comfort food, is that for you mashed potatoes? Or is that a warm chocolate chip cookie? Or maybe it's macaroni and cheese. It usually tends to be more carb-based right? We pick carbs as our comfort foods because carbohydrates produce a neurotransmitter called serotonin. In fact, I actually talk about this in the book, uh, when we talk about, um, those feel good, those feel good hormones. Serotonin is, um, one of those, hormones that just help us feel good and an imbalance of serotonin can often lead to a disruption in mood or increased chances of depression, anxiety. So I'm a big proponent of knowing the why behind things because if you can understand the why, you're more likely to stick with it. So I just want to read to you an excerpt from the book. And it says, From a nutrition standpoint, eating carbohydrates produces an insulin response and thereby binds to amino acids without tryptophan. When it's allowed to bind to these amino acids, it helps free up the tryptophan to cross the blood-brain barrier, helping to create more serotonin. So it is no wonder why we associate feel good comfort foods with carbohydrates because they help create more serotonin. They help us feel better. So it might be a little bit more complicated than that, but that's the overall gist. And um, again, when you understand the why, you are more likely to make great choices. So I want to talk a little bit About these comfort foods. We talked a little bit about serotonin, but I also want to talk about the neurotransmitter dopamine. Comfort foods trigger a dopamine response, and dopamine is much like serotonin, it's all about a feel good sensation. And so, dopamine has a connection between motivation, reward, and pleasure. When your brain creates dopamine, it remembers a connection between food and a reward, which is that positive feeling. What's really interesting is some researchers think that just anticipating eating certain foods can generate a dopamine response, meaning you don't even have to actually eat the food, just thinking about it can start producing dopamine, which is kind of cool. I think that's why we enjoy the anticipation of a good meal, or the anticipation of going out to eat, or going to a relative's house to eat certain foods. It's not only eating the foods themselves, but it's the anticipation of going to eat those foods that also triggers those feel-good hormones, those feel-good neurotransmitters in our brain, and makes us want to seek out the experience. So Let's talk a little bit more about why we seek out comfort foods. So not only is it to get that dopamine hit, um, but I really believe that comfort foods, they give us um, some type of social connection. I mean, when you think about what that comfort food is to you, there's usually some connection to eating it with a person that you care about or somebody that, you know, loves you, cares about you, brings you joy, you have positive memories with them, you know, and when you can think about that social aspect, it gives you a sense of belonging. And honestly, after the past two years, because I feel like we're going on two years now with this COVID and all of the isolation that we've been going through, not being able to see people, not being able to hang out with them the way we used to. You know, if you do hang out with them, you have to wear a mask. There's just so many barriers to connection right now. And so comfort foods give us that connection that we're so longing for. You know, I'm actually doing a, an event next week. So by the time this airs, the event will have been long gone. But um, I actually am doing a talk on eating disorders and how eating disorders, um, even just calls to the national registry have increased 70% over the COVID pandemic. And the reason being a lot of it is eating disorders thrive in isolation. And I think because we've been so alone, we haven't been able to have those connection points. You know, something like an eating disorder was able to, to thrive. And get to a point where, you know, obviously they're unhealthy, um, but where people needed to seek out treatment. So, you know, a sense of belonging is everything. Knowing that you have people on your side and people rooting for you that you can connect with at any point in time is everything a lot of times comfort foods are also associated with positive memories or nostalgia, you know, thinking about growing up and helping your grandmother bake cookies or, you know, getting together with a family on a Sunday evening and, you know, eating a specific food. So comfort foods give us these positive feelings, um, again, often associated with social connection. Um, The other thing that comfort foods can offer us is a sense of certainty and routine, right? You know, if grandma made chocolate chip cookies every time you saw her, you knew that when you went to visit her, there would be chocolate chip cookies, right? When you had a hard day, you knew that those cookies were going to be there and offer love, comfort, and a feeling of certainty, And, you know, think about it right now. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of uncertainty. When is COVID going to end? When are, you know, the arguments going to end? It feels like every day there is a new layer of anxiety. And so comfort foods, they symbolize certainty when everything else feels uncertain. It's no wonder why people reached for comfort foods over the pandemic. You know, we had no clue when it was going to end. We still have no clue when it's going to end. You know, honestly, I feel like people's anxiety levels are higher now than in the peak of the pandemic because it things just drag on and on and on. And as it drags on, people are filled with so much anger and hatred for anybody that doesn't believe the same thing they believe. I'm not going to go into politics, I refuse to go into that, but it is, it's a mess, and you know it's a mess. You know you're not allowed to have an opinion that's different than somebody else's without feeling the wrath, and so a lot of people are dealing with some really big feelings right now, and they're not able to communicate them in a safe way, and so what they're doing in order to make themselves feel better is they're reaching for comfort foods. And so I just want to talk about it. I'm not here to condemn or to shame or to convince you why you shouldn't do that. I'm just here to talk about it because it's a thing. It's a thing. And so you are not alone and you're not going through this by yourself. We're all going through this. So let's just talk about it and see if there's ways that we can maybe just do things a little better. I mean, really that's, that's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of this podcast. It's never to, to guilt you into doing something. It's just to give you information that maybe will work for you and maybe you can try. And, and if it makes things a little better, then that's great. All right. So I want to go back to what are your comfort foods? You know, as you're listening to this, I want you to either think about them or write them out if you're near a piece of paper. But I want you to list your comfort foods. And then after you have listened or listed them, I want you to think about why do you like them? Right? Is it a memory of eating them, eating that food with someone you cared about? Is it the taste? Is it the texture in your mouth? Is it the temperature? You know, is there some type of feeling or emotion that you get that you connect with that food, I want you to really dial in and think about why do you think that's a comfort food to you? All right. And so I just want to bring awareness. Again, I'm not here to tell you your comfort foods are wrong or you should change them or you need to get rid of them. I just want you to think about what does that food offer to you that you need in this moment right now? All right, and then I want to just open up the opportunity for you to think about, is there one small change that you can make to your comfort food to perhaps make it just a little healthier? You know, if you are a casserole person, right? I grew up in Lancaster County, so casseroles were a thing. Um, I think I've mentioned many times, my husband grew up in a Mennonite family casseroles were absolutely a thing for his family. You know, casseroles were great because they were one-dish meals. You threw everything in there, you cooked it in the oven, and voila, dinner is served. But casseroles can have a lot of starches in them. They can have um, a lot of butter, a lot of cheese, not so many vegetables. So maybe if a casserole is your favorite meal, is there an opportunity to just add another vegetable to the dish and increase the healthful factor to it? Maybe, you know, create a little bit more balance where it is lacking, right? Think about your favorite casseroles. Maybe it's a lasagna. Could you add mushrooms to your lasagna? Could you add spinach? Could you add zucchini? I'm not saying you have to completely change the whole entire recipe. I'm just thinking, is there one way we can increase the healthfulness? You know, maybe it's turning one of the carbohydrates from a more of a processed grain into a whole grain. You know, can you use whole wheat noodles or chickpea noodles? Can you use brown rice instead of white rice? Can you keep the skin on the potatoes instead of taking them off? All of these little tips and tricks, they add up. And I really, truly believe there is an intersect between really enjoying your meal or your food or your comfort food. And also really feeling good about yourself and your goals and, you know, ditching this whole all or nothing mentality. We talk about it all the time, but you know what? We need to talk about it more. So I want you to think about, is there a way that you can eat something and just increase the healthfulness just a touch, just a dial, you know, just dial it up just a tad. You know, maybe you can't adjust the recipe without compromising the flavor and the nostalgia and all of the, the warm, fuzzy emotions that you get with it. But maybe you can pair that food with something that's a little healthier. You know, maybe you can add a salad And that way it creates a little bit more balance between vegetable and protein starch ratio. Um, Maybe you can add more protein to it so it's not so carb heavy. Um, Again, not that carbs are bad. Remember, you're going to seek out carbs when you're seeking a comfort food to boost the serotonin. But we know that when you balance carbs and proteins, you feel better, you have more energy, and you have more longevity in terms of satiety. So balancing carbs and protein is a really good thing. And if your comfort food is particularly carb heavy, how can you add just a little bit of protein to balance it out? We've talked about this so many times. Our goal is always balance. It's never 100% only eat this one way because everything else is terrible. Right? We don't do that because there is no such thing as a bad food. There's just food. Where we get in trouble is the emotion we put behind it or the meaning that we assign to food, right? Food is inanimate. You put a piece of cake on a table, it doesn't call out to you. It doesn't speak your name. It sits there. It really doesn't do a thing. We assign all this meaning to food and we try to make it be what we're lacking, you know, whether that's comfort, whether that's love, whether that's companionship, whether that's certainty, and we really need to stop assigning all of these values to something that is just food, right? Food is a definite part of our lives, absolutely, but it's not the only thing, all right? And so what I want you to think about is what is one small change you can make to your comfort food to just increase the health value just a touch, okay? Especially as we're coming into this holiday season, especially as we come into these cold months, if you tend to choose comfort foods more frequently this time of year, let's just think of one way that we can make it just a tad better. And then I also want you to think, how else can you practice stress management? Right? Because really that's what we're looking for. We're looking for certainty because we feel uncertain. We're looking for something to help calm our nerves. And really work against all of our stress and anxiety. So I want you to think about what are some really positive ways you can practice self-management in your own life. Does that look like yoga? Does that look like meditation? Maybe it's going for a walk outside. Maybe it's playing with a pet or listening to music or calling a friend. When it comes to thinking about stress management, we have to choose solutions that make us feel better after we do it, not worse. See, a lot of our coping strategies actually make us feel worse afterwards. Eating, drinking, smoking, retail therapy, shopping, right? It feels good in the moment, but that moment is fleeting. We want to choose stress management um, solutions that make us feel better long term, not just a quick hit and then fall into a guilt shame cycle. So it's really important that we pick things that are positive for ourselves because, again, this anxiety isn't going anywhere. Our threshold for anxiety is reaching new levels that we never thought were possible. So we have to be even more proactive in creating space in our calendar to de-escalate and to practice stress management techniques so that it doesn't get out of control where all we're doing is reaching for comfort through food. All right. A strategy that I know can be helpful um, that I've worked on with even some clients is You know, I want to go back to that whole comfort foods symbolize certainty when everything else feels uncertain. So a lot of times when things feel uncertain, our brain catastrophizes things. Like we go to worst case scenario. And so a lot of times what we need to do is go back to knowing what is true. We need to go back to stating facts. So I want to give you something really practical today. Right. When things feel out of control, when things feel chaotic and, you know, your everything about you is just like, I just need to eat chocolate or I just need to go get some ice cream and then things will feel better. I want you to think what is true. Right. The brain will go all over the place. It feels chaotic. It feels threatening. I know when I was dealing with some anxiety earlier in the year, I I was trying to explain to my friend, I'm like, it feels like my throat is closing in. Like somebody has their hands around my neck and I can't breathe and they just keep squeezing tighter and tighter. And I had to keep going back to what is true. What do I know to be true? Because my brain wanted to go everywhere, but it wanted to come up with all sorts of situations that didn't even happen, but my brain thought they were going to. And so what do you know to be true? Right? I was working on this with a client. You know, I am safe. I have a roof over my head. I have a job. I have health insurance. You, know, you just start naming facts. Right? I don't know what that facts what that means to you and what those facts need to be, but depending on what your anxiety is or what your brain is cl- you know, creating chaos with, I want you to think about true statements that you can always return to that can provide comfort. All right. Like in this case of my client, she was very fearful that, you know, of financial instability. And anytime that she got stressed out, she would reach for food. So that's why we always would go back to her facts. I have a job. I have a roof over my head. I can pay my bills. We um, you know, we just named three or four things that she knew to be true that she could repeat to herself to calm herself down so that she didn't reach for food instead. All right. So again, comfort foods are not a bad thing. They're not unless you're using them as a coping strategy all the time. And then we might want to figure out what are some other healthier ways we can incorporate other coping strategies into our life. All right, guys, that's what I got for you today. Your recipe is actually one that I've made for a couple years now, and I love it. So I was trying to find a recipe that actually brought comfort to me. So again, a warm meal, especially over the winter holidays um, and the winter months. So I chose a creamy polenta with roasted root vegetables and kale pesto. All right, guys. So this is going to be a little bit of a recipe. So I'll try to say it slowly. So if you're writing things down, um, you can enjoy this. It's actually on our website. So literally if you just type in body metrics and creamy polenta with roasted root vegetables, it's on our blog and you can find it there. Um, if you want to print it out. Um, but, I'll go through the ingredients right now. You need two and a half pounds of peeled root vegetables like beets, carrots, turnips, and radishes. And you want to go ahead and cut them into a quarter inch cube. I think for me, I usually pick beets, carrots, and turnips. Those are the ones we like the best. Uh, You're also going to need a quarter cup plus two tablespoons of olive oil, one teaspoon of salt, six cups of low sodium vegetable stock or chicken stock, One cup of quick cooking polenta, a quarter cup of grated Parmesan cheese, a little bit of black pepper, one garlic clove, two cups of chopped kale, two tablespoons of pine nuts, and two tablespoons of lemon juice. All right. So step one, you're gonna preheat your oven to 400 degrees. And then on a large baking sheet, you're going to toss all your vegetables with the two tablespoons of olive oil and a quarter teaspoon of salt. And you're gonna roast until they're tender about 30 to 35 minutes. Now the key when you're roasting vegetables is to cut them into nice uniform size. You don't wanna have one thing be too large and another vegetable vegetable be small because then they won't cook evenly. So it doesn't matter what vegetables you're using. You just want to cut them to a a uniform size and shape so that they all cook together. So in this case, if you're cutting them into cubes, it should take you about 30, 35 minutes because root vegetables do take a little bit longer. Uh, Step two, while you're waiting for those vegetables to roast, you're going to bring a large pot of uh, the chicken stock or vegetable stock, Um, the polenta and a half a teaspoon of salt to a boil, and you're going to whisk constantly. All right, so bring the chicken stock, polenta, and salt to a boil, whisk constantly, and then you're going to reduce it to a simmer, cover, and cook for 10 minutes. And you're going to want to whisk that often just so that the polenta doesn't get clumpy. And then after the 10 minutes is up, you can go ahead and whisk in the cheese and season with pepper to taste. That's how easy polenta is. And it's kind of like, I don't know, if you've never had polenta before, it's, well, it's like grits, really. Um, but it's just smooth and velvety and warm. Oh, it might be your new favorite winter vegetable or winter starch, I should say. And then finally, step three, we're going to um, place garlic in a food processor and go ahead and pulse that until it's minced. You're also going to add kale, pine nuts, lemon juice and the remaining quarter teaspoon of salt and go ahead and pulse all that together until it's finely chopped and then while the machine is running you're going to drizzle in the remaining quarter cup of olive oil and process until it's pureed so you're literally making a pesto in about two minutes time it is so quick it is so easy you'll realize why do I ever buy jarred pesto again if that's all the work that is involved in making it from scratch. And then you're going to spoon the polenta into a serving bowl. You're going to top with a swirl of pesto and add your roasted vegetables. And that is it. You have got this amazing recipe. If you want to add protein to it, go ahead and, you know, you could roast some chicken with it or even salmon would be nice. Um, But it is absolutely delicious. And it really doesn't, it takes a little bit of time to roast the vegetables. But honestly, it's a, a meal comes together fairly quickly. All right, guys, that's what I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this This episode. Of course, if it resonated with you, feel free to share it with somebody who could also benefit from the information. And I will see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, Visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Bodymetrics Health. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.